Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. On another episode of Rob Beats His Heroes from the internet, I am talking to Pi Jerza. Pi, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. As I said before the podcast, I found you through photography and through on YouTube, the SLR Lounge, which is an A to Z photography and business education. I've learned so much from that. The new project you're working on, Impossible Things, which is advanced AI editing for wedding and portrait photographers, 12-week relationships, which I'm really excited to talk about as well. We got wedding maps. I've found you all over the internet on Creative Live, SLR, Adorama, more recently on Profoto. You know, it's sort of a cliche thing, but it oftentimes yields interesting stories. But, you know, picking up the first camera, that story, how did this whole journey get started? Oh, I haven't gone back to that story in a while. It honestly was a kind of an accident. This was in the last recession in 2008. We left our jobs and we were doing a startup and our funding got pulled for that startup. So we kind of had to figure out like, what are we going to do? We'd quit a few weeks prior. We ran into somebody at a wedding that was photographing the wedding. And I asked like, how much are you getting paid for this? And he said, I think at the time it was like 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks. Um, when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Like for a day's work, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I had every wrong misconception about it. You could possibly imagine as Justin, Chris and I were kind of figuring out what should we do? Cause I have two other business partners. My thought was, well, I'm going to research this wedding photography side. Cause I think we could make a decent living, but also be able to have our time Monday through Friday for other projects we want to work on. So I went to a convention and, and thought. I think this is a good route to go. We made all the classic mistakes. Like I went to Costco. My first <laughs> camera was a Costco, the Rebel Kit. I thought that was a professional camera. It was so, like a, T, yeah. a T3i kind of deal or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. We we got our very first job working for the city, actually. We were doing like a, a campaign that it ended up going on billboards. Like the first thing that I ever photographed. It wasn't like we got paid a ton, but it's for the school district. And they put us up in a helicopter and I sent my partner, Chris, and he came back with like 1500 photos that all looked identical. Like just imagine being up in the air, shooting an auto, 1500 photographs of like the same city. And I'm like, what? I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with this. So, <laughs> yeah. At what point did you feel like you were kind of starting to get it and overcome that imposter syndrome, those failures? Yeah. I don't know that you ever get over imposter syndrome. Have you heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yes. It's kind of the idea that the the less you know about something, the more confident you are. As you kind of grow and you learn more, your confidence actually drops. And when you start approaching like expert level, it's actually there's a there's a place where your confidence is like the lowest. And then it starts to kind of like moderately come back up. I think at the beginning of anything, we tend to be overly confident. And that's kind of what pushes us into these spaces. And then as you begin to learn, you kind of come back down and you realize, and, and at some point your confidence kind of levels off with the amount of knowledge that you have. But I don't know that imposter syndrome like ever goes away. It just, for me, it's always just kind of like shifted to a different space. I'd say in, in wedding photography, it was probably like two, three years in when I started to feel more confident, like where, where when I would go to a wedding, I wouldn't be filled with anxiety of like, am I going to screw this up? Um, that, that probably took a couple of years to get through. And at the beginning, it was just like, well, we always just made sure that our, our price kind of was a value for what we were, you know, delivering. 
So today, if you hire me, uh, my minimum packages today are like between thirty to fifty thousand dollars to get me to go out and photograph weddings. Um, and I'm I'm confident that like you know most of these weddings that I do are like a, a multi day kind of like Indian weddings and 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 larger you know events. And I'm confident of the experience and the entire you know product. And the, and the product is more than just the photos. It's it's everything from start to finish. I'm confident that I can deliver that. Um, but at the beginning. I was charging $500 to $1,000 because that's what I was confident being able to deliver back then. It's like, if I can go and get some good photographs and I can go and, and, and deliver this, it's still a value for what I'm charging. So that was always the thing is making sure that I was always a value for whatever experience I was delivering. When you have students that come to you with these sort of ideas about imposter syndrome, about not being able to sort of level up, what do you tell them and how did you navigate from that mental do I deserve this kind of mindset? So half my work now is in the, um, I've studied psychology for 20 years. And again, the more I learn, the more I, I, I realize I don't know, but I, I would say um, like half my time now is on relationship psychology. Hmm. Imposter syndrome is a very big subject. And I kind of come at it with a little bit of a different view than maybe most people like i think most um influencers and maybe like educators and coaches are kind of of the mindset of like just get over it like you know you have imposter syndrome just believe that you can do this and you can do it you know yeah. it's it's highly motivational and i don't know that that is for me at least particularly helpful i think i think imposter syndrome in and of itself actually can be quite healthy and and important as a as, as a trait there's aspects of it that are not, and I would kind of divide them into two categories. So there's the aspect of imposter syndrome that it's like, you know, it, it's usually the, the nagging voice that um, is kind of pointing out things that you lack. Like, let's say, I'll, I'll give you an example, like going into relationship psychology, I, I've been studying this for almost two decades, but nobody knows that. No, I, I don't have the degrees. I don't have the credentials that that you traditionally would have. So there's a very real side of that of like, well, how can I, how can I help people to understand that I'm trustworthy in this area when they primarily know me in photography and in the creative space? Um, and there's a lot of solutions to that, right? The, the, there's solutions of like, well, you can get a certification and you can go back to school. And I'm like, well, that's not really who I am. That's not what I really what I want to do. But the other ways is like, well, you can build an audience. You can just start demonstrating value of, of quality of content. You can also create partnerships. So I actually found a business partner in this venture who has 20 years of clinical experience. He's a professor at Whittier College and he's like the verification point for everything. So now it's like, well, now it's Pi and Dr. Glenn that are working together on this. And immediately that, that resolves that aspect of it, right? So there's one side of imposter syndrome that's telling you like, maybe I lack a skill set, maybe I lack a credential, maybe it's a very realistic and pragmatic look at yourself and what you offer. That's the piece that I think is worth embracing and it's worth addressing. So put your energy towards that space. Then there's the other side of imposter syndrome. That's the voice that just tells you that you're not good enough. It's the voice that's beating you down It's the voice of like, who are you to be doing this? how could you possibly believe this is a good idea? And that's the part that that's not you. That's just fears, doubts, and insecurities that, that are kind of boiling up. And that's the piece that has to be addressed through 
kind of doing the, the personal work on that side. But that's the part that like you need to temper and, and say, this is not a realistic, because it's not, it's not a realistic view of yourself. It's not a realistic view of what you're capable of. It's not, it has really nothing to do with you. It, it is simply just a, an amalgam of like fears that they're kind of building up. For sure. You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about today is mentorship. Who are the people that kind of paved the way for your education and, and teaching style? So I had a really great mentor starting out in wedding photography. His name is John Solano. And most people in the in the photo industry probably don't like he's done some lectures. He's done he's done a bit of education, but John just works. And most people probably don't know who he is, but he is making a killing, keeping his clients happy and just delivering a great service and product. And and he was the very first person that kind of like took an interest in in helping us to uh, like just learn the craft. Um, and then from there, there were other industry peers that like, well, at the time they weren't, I, I wouldn't call them peers. They're just people that I, I looked up to, like they were way above where we were. Um, one of them was Jerry Guionis. I loved how Jerry Guionis understood the psychology of photography, which is kind of what drew me into it in the first place is like, really when you, when you think of a photograph, um, it's you're you're selling a memory a memory of a positive experience because nobody wants to you know buy memories of negative experiences and jerry understood that and so a lot of psychology kind of made his way into his education his approach and and i really appreciated like the way that he would teach um so it's kind of resonating with with you know those two i would say were my first the first two people that i really were drawn to in the industry this is taking me back to your class, man. As soon as you said that, I was like, I, rem I remember this. this is so cool. One of the things that I, I loved about taking your classes was photography as a business. Yeah, you have to sell and you have to get them to engage in your business, but you also have to communicate with them the value. When you try and explain this to students, what advice would you give in that regard? The big thing that I say is don't feed yourself. So I think the the main thing that every photographer falls into uh, when you start selling your product is you start selling the features of that product. Like if I said, and, and I see it all the time, like I'll see, you know, the modern version of this is like, you'll hop onto Instagram or onto TikTok, and, and a photographer will post a reel that says, you know, why do I charge what I charge? And it has, and they do the little dance and they point it like the different <laughs> stuff. Right. And it says like, you know, cameras, equipment, and, you know, cost of this and this, and this, this is why I charge what I charge. And it's wrong. Like that, that is not why you charge what you charge because you're, you're commoditizing the product when you're doing this. And, and we don't recognize the fact that like, like, look, if it, if it just came down to equipment, if it just came down to gear, then photography as a product or service should not be that expensive because you can replicate it and just do it over and over again, right? Um, what we fail to recognize is that photography is a luxury experience. Like everybody has this, this is good enough for most people's needs, which means that when someone hires a photographer, what are they actually paying for? They could document it on their own, right? They could, they could create their own imagery pretty dang easy. So what they're paying for is actually the experience of it. It's the the luxury aspect of the service. When a photographer sells the uh, you know 
oh, I use the highest resolution camera and I use, this is the way that I light and this is the way that I shoot. They're going back towards selling the features, not the experience itself. And, and that's not what a, a client is purchasing. It's like, I kind of, the best analogy for it is like when you step into a luxury car dealership, right? They're not selling you on the leather of like your BMW. It's like, oh, this is, you know, your, your car comes with a steering wheel and your car comes with like premium, you know, leather options. And, and even if they did do that in a BMW dealership, make no mistake. If you walked into like a Bentley store, they're not going to have that conversation with you at all right. because they just assume that, you know, that, well, this car has the best of the best, everything. And the reason that you're buying it is because of the way that it makes you feel. The reason you're buying it is the experience that it delivers to you. And that's the same thing in a photograph. So rather than talking about the features of what you're offering, talk about the client. Like, what is the story that they're looking to document? What is the most, uh, what do you, what is the one thing that you love about your relationship that you want to make sure is captured in a photograph? What is the, the one thing on your wedding day that you're looking forward to most? If we're talking family photography, like when you come home at the end of the day, what are you excited to do with your kids? Is that something that we can go out and we can shoot and we can do together? Like you're you're taking the photograph and understanding what it is that you're actually selling as a product. And the product is the positive memory attached to that photograph. So because photographers often fail in this, they'll go out and they'll create exceptional images that nobody buys, that clients don't want. Because the client's experience in capturing those images wasn't that positive. So when they see the photograph, they're reminded of a, an actual, like not so great moment. And yeah. they're like, yeah, I don't like that photograph. And it has nothing to do with the photograph. The photograph's great. It's technically beautiful. It's posed well. It's great. It just has to do with the way that they felt when it was captured. I think in being a photographer, I've found that, and this is just my own personal experience and tell me if you, you could agree or not agree, but I found that my personality and maybe it's like ADHD or being on some sort of like creative spectrum. It's really high highs and really low lows. And I feel that for me, photography is sort of a way of capturing life as I would like to see it. This romantic notion of life, sort of like a dream, like you talked about. Does that make sense? No, I, I think, um, I, I think that's a pretty typical experience from like a creative standpoint like those that that tend to be more creative usually have higher highs and lower lows yeah um, either a genius or like the biggest piece of shit who ever lived like one of, <laughs> nowhere <laughs> between <laughs> i i don't know like I, I think everybody has to find like whatever that thing is for them that kind of keeps them even keeled but what you said makes sense to me i think for for me personally like the photography was always the I kind of thought of it like a, like my camera was kind of a passport. So I'm personally rather introverted. Um, but I've learned how to kind of be extroverted when I need to. Um, but the camera was kind of that passport into that world where like I could be who I wanted as I was developing my confidence and I was trying to be, you know, more outgoing and more extroverted. The camera was kind of like this permission to do that. Right. It was permission to go and ask somebody for a photograph. It was permission to go and, so I kind of treated it like that and, and it helped me to develop that side of my personality. 
And so as you're describing this, I don't relate directly to this exact experience, but I can relate to like using the camera to kind of moderate, you know, the, the experience that you're having and to kind of create like a, a more even killed look or, or even to document the moments that you want to hold close because th those are the things that you want to remember over others. And that makes complete sense. I love going deep on these things, but I want to make sure that we have some practical and pragmatic things in there. And I feel like we could talk for hours about this, this is why I've always like gravitated towards your content because it's both informative and it also is from a very like raw and real emotional place. So thank you for Thank you for going to the murky waters of me. So switching gears here a little bit to something just as existential, but a little less emotional. Impossible Things is an advanced AI editing for wedding and portrait photographers. I'm going to let you take the lead on this, but you know, you're, you're going into the world of AI editing, man. This is a hot topic. We're getting to hear first from Pi Jerza. What's it all about? How do people get involved with it? AI is interesting. Hopefully we don't blow ourselves up with it. So we developed impossible things as we like kind of move forward to this next phase. And in my opinion, photography is going to come down even more so to just the experience that you're delivering. It has been, uh, but over the years, it's kind of like the, the advances in technology have made it so that any technical component of the job is kind of done for you, which leaves essentially this human to human experience. Impossible Things is another one of those pieces that's kind of like annoying and difficult to deal with. It's it's editing. It's and it's not just editing. It's it's Lightroom color grading. So basically, what it does is it can use any presets that you have. So it can be presets that you've bought, presets that you've made, but it will essentially color grade all of your photographs by selecting like you just choose the preset, you choose what you want, and then it goes in and actually colors all the images. And it does an incredible job of it. So it saves photographers 95% of the time that they would spend just like sitting there colorizing photographs. Um, and then you can go and you can do your, you know, your five-star images, your portfolio type images. You can take them further from there. And it also allows for like custom tuning and whatnot. So this is our, our development on this side to kind of fix the portrait and wedding photographer's dilemma of just like how much time we spend colorizing images in post. Um, but then you have everything else AI that's coming. Like you have all the Photoshop generative AI features. You have all the other different AI applications. And to me, I, I did a podcast about a year or so ago with, um, I did one with Kritik Nayak and I did one with Patrick Hall of F-Stoppers. And I was saying that like where this is going and the pace that it's going is so fast that, you know, a, a photographer could still potentially feature sell right now like uh, you could talk about your camera your megapixels what you can do within a year that's gone like literally you can generate photographs from just words and so a year ago i was saying like if you can generate photographs from words the value of an image the value of art is going to drop dramatically and what's going to maintain like what's only going to be valuable is the human behind the experience the authenticity behind the experience so in the world of wedding and portrait photography, I started kind of pushing people a year ago, like move towards authenticity, move away from Photoshop, away from like, you know, uh, all the crazy surreal kind of things that you can do and move towards authenticity, because that's going to be in a world where everything is like already, Rob, when you see something on the internet, like a, a great photograph, you probably wonder, was this AI or is this an actual photograph? Mm-hmm. In yeah. a world where that's the case, then 
these authentic moments matter a whole lot more. So as everything goes towards this surreal, like you imagine it, it exists, then people are going to push back towards what's real, towards what's authentic. Um, and that's the position I would, I would put every photographer in. So use, use AI, use tools like impossible things, use everything to basically alleviate yourself of like the, the, the kind of grunt work, the stuff that you don't want to be doing so that you can focus on that authentic experience. All right. So along that same line, I'm having like wedding DJs, photographers, I'm in the wedding industry, baby. I'm here. I'm doing it. Wedding Maps is a premier directory for wedding photographers. So tell me about this Wedding Maps and, and how can this be useful for people that are in the wedding industry? Yeah, so Wedding Maps is another brainchild of my business partner, Chris. Um, he developed it as kind of like a, it, it's a directory for photographers that's more focused on um, the SEO aspects of it, like the SEO helping you to kind of create faux marketing events. Like we have an award system, we have features, we have all these different things where we're linking out to photographers' websites and helping them to build their traction, their 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 SEO ranking. So when people search for wedding photography in, in a particular area, you're more likely to come up. And at the same time, like kind of giving them marketing assets. So like I got featured here, I was awarded here so that we can, they can talk more about their brand. We developed it from the lens of a client. So like, what would a client want to see? So when you go to it, it's kind of more client centric. And right now, Chris is kind of building up the backside of the photographer side, but it's really focused towards like a bride or groom who wants to search for their venue, search for their photography, search for whatever it is that they want for their wedding day from an image centric view. So like, seeing the actual quality of the work and seeing the artistry that someone's doing as opposed to just like searching based on price and costs and all that kind of stuff. Up next on the 11,000 things that you do that are all really cool, the 12 week relationships, psychology and relationship coaching made simple. By the way, Dr. Glenn, open invite if you want to come on the show. I love the kind of the back and <laughs> forth banter you guys have. And uh, it found me in a really good place, man, because I, I sort of needed to hear about what you guys were talking about. But for people that are living under a rock and I've somehow never heard of you or, or the show. What's it all about? Um, well, so my, I would say I, I really just do one thing, which is education. I like to learn and kind of, I guess, synthesize information and put it into frameworks that are easy to understand, but it's always for me first. And while I was building a career in, in photography, um, Nobody really knew behind the scenes that I was studying psychology because my own marriage was failing. So I had a marriage that went, uh, my first marriage went 14 years and it was kind of failing from the start. So I started studying psychology when I was 22 and met with therapists and every type of professional you can imagine for the course of, I didn't realize it would be that long, but it was for 15 years, basically just meeting. And um, about, you know, five, six years into that process, that's when I started shooting weddings. And it wasn't long into shooting weddings that I realized that, um, hey, if I kind of just take data from, you know, what I'm doing in my photo work, um, this might help me to be able to answer this question of like, what does a healthy relationship look like? Um, and, and the reason was because interesting things happen in therapy. Um, Therapy specifically, therapy individually can be very effective. It's it's quite awesome. 
sure. but from a couple standpoint, like couples counseling and couples therapy, they tend to be, uh, well, they, they fail more than it helps. So traditional therapy tends to fail around 80 to 85% of its clients after spending the money, after spending the time, there is no long-term improvement. And there's a number of reasons for this. One of them though, and one of the big ones is it's really difficult, even if you are a qualified therapist to kind of figure out what two people are telling you because everybody creates their own narrative. So it's kind of like you get one side, you get the other side and the therapist has this job of like staying in the center, like not taking sides, but at the same time trying to figure out like what is the truth and where is the accountability and and it's it's incredibly challenging. And what I noticed from being a photographer was that well my clients they they we develop a good strong trust with each other and and I'm there documenting their wedding, not their relationship. So the way that they behave in front of my camera is authentic. Like I can see how they communicate. I can see how they're interacting with their friends, with their family. I can see how their family members talk to each other. I can see every one of these relationship dynamics. So after after shoots, I would start to document, but not anything personal. I would I would start to document like data, like okay, it's interesting that during an entire three-hour engagement shoot, he walked in front of her and didn't look back once. It's interesting that she made jokes during this part, but it felt like a dig because I looked at his face and I could see the reaction. So I would make notes on like body language and communication patterns and and all the things that they would do. Um, and after about, you know, close to, I don't know, almost 10 years that I had over 500 of these observational case studies. And as my own marriage fell apart, the last counselor that I ever met with, uh, I was like, I started asking this question to every one of them. I was like, just, can you just tell me what a healthy relationship even looks like? And I kid you not, this, this, uh, he had a master's degree in, in marriage and family therapy. And he looked at me and he said, Pi, you've read all the books on my shelf and I don't know how to help you. I can't answer that question. And I was like, well, what do you do when the professional who has the education and the background, the experience says they can't help you. So that was when I kind of started on a new journey behind the scenes of like, I'm going to take all the data and I've been synthesizing information and creating frameworks for a very long time. I think I can take the data and turn it into uh, a framework that answers that question. Like what does a healthy relationship look like? So I did that. It took about five years, had a, a manuscript, and then I found Dr. Glenn. And I said, here's my manuscript. I just want you to, like, I didn't ask for anything other than just prove it wrong. If I gave it to him, I was like, just try and prove this wrong if you can, because he's a professor. And he read it in three days and came back, was like, let's let's create a business around this. And so that kind of became our our latest venture. So it's a it's a relationship platform that teaches people like how to create better relationships in weeks rather than years. When I see the content that you guys create, at, at first I was really almost taken back by like the honesty of it. You would say, let's cover like this topic. And I'm like, damn, they're gonna do that. And like when you do it though, there's like the, a realness and a rawness and an authenticity. And that's what originally caught my eye about it because in the day and age of like social media, there's like this like outward facing perception, but behind that like veneer, there's a, a lot of really difficult and challenging and nuanced relationship issues that, that people don't really talk about. And right from the jump, I think you guys really started kind of tackling some of those, those issues head on. Now, a question that I have for you, and I'm sure that this applies to a lot of the content that, that you're in the education that you're creating. 
how do you deal with like crazy people in the comments? Cause I'm sure, especially like I'm talking about relationships, how do you navigate that? And when you're talking about relationships or are these, you know, these very opinionated things, do you just not read it? What's your, what's your secret? How are you so damn happy after seeing all the comments? I, I, <laughs> dude, I've had, I've been on YouTube for like 10 years. So I've had a good amount of time to just like thicken my skin. Um, and, and, and there are times where like, you know, especially in the past, like in, in, in the photo, when I was primarily only focused on photo education, like people are dicks, like, like they will, they will say things like you take these photographs and, and, uh, they're just brutal. And a lot of times they're right. You know, like a lot of times, like the, the work that I, that you create as a photographer or whatever it might be is not as good as you think it is. You got that emotional attachment to that work. And so you see it in a different, in a different light. And, um, it was, it was kind of learning to, to recognize that everybody's got an opinion. Sometimes I'm gonna be wrong. Sometimes, you know, they're going to be wrong and just being okay with that. So there, there came a point like five, six years ago where I was okay to be wrong. Um, and it was so relieving. Like I remember before that point, it was like, it might've been a little bit more like maybe like six, seven years ago. But before that point, it was like every video that I made for YouTube, I would scrutinize it and watch it and rework the images. And I would like, I'd spend so much time trying to make sure it was perfect. And inevitably there'd always be, you know, haters that, that show up. And I'm like, God damn it. Like I can't, right. I can't, can't do win. anything. Yeah. And, uh, and eventually it was just like, there came a point where I, I said, it, it's okay that to be wrong. Like I, I'm good with that. And not only did my happiness improve, but like developmentally, I grew a lot quicker as well. So it's, it's no different on the, on the relationship stuff. Um, I would say it's an even yet, like you said, it's a more opinionated subject. Um, but I also kind of like appreciate the opinions because when someone writes something that's pretty inflammatory, they don't know it, but they're actually helping you. Cause if you just let the comment ride, most likely someone else in your audience is going to go and, you know, say something about it and they're going to start a dialogue and the engagement itself is actually really good for the, the, the reach of the video. So if you can detach yourself from it and just be okay with, Hey, sometimes I'm going to be wrong. Sometimes, you know, I'm going to be right. Sometimes people are just going to be dicks. If you can detach yourself from it entirely, uh, there's, there's a lot to learn there and there's a lot of potential benefit from like even negative comments. For sure. I, I think that I, I've limited myself in the growth of this podcast by not putting things on YouTube. Like I've had, I don't want to sound conceited, but I've had some ridiculous guests on this podcast that, and a lot of it's like audio. So like, I just know that it's just going to like die in the algorithm the second I put it out. Cause it's just audio, but yeah, it's weird. It's like the ego can just stop you from doing it, but maybe I'm realizing that it would be good to just put it out there and just let it, let it rock. It's hard to get that momentum going when you see those comments in there. You're like, they're, they're right. I do have a big head. My head, is too big for my body. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just take, I take things so personally and maybe you're right though. Maybe it would be a good thing to get that thick skin. And cause I'm 32 now, which is still young in the scheme of things, but I'm at that age where I shouldn't really give a shit what people are saying on that level. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say let go of it. The other side too, is how right can somebody be when they don't know you? Like oh, yeah, they don't totally. know you. So yeah whatever they say, whatever, you know, like we did a video on borderline personality disorder 
And someone wrote a pretty crazy set of comments. Uh, there was quite a few actually on that one. Um, and I actually sent it to Dr. Glenn and I was like, is there any truth in this one? Because they were so confident about what they're saying that it was making me question what I right. knew. And I was like, like I've been saying Dunning this for Kruger quite a while. A full, full circle. <laughs> yeah, that's what's funny is like someone and and Dr. Glenn was like, no, they're they're completely wrong. You're you're spot on in the and I go, okay, if I see something, I'll always question it. And people also talk about my hairline. They'll talk about like, you know, <laughs> like there was one, another therapist came out and, uh, and he kind of made this video that sort of bashed one of our stances. So one of our stances was um, communication is not the key to a successful relationship. Uh, it's a tool. It's you guys a valuable were asking tool, for it without, without headline. You guys were asking for it. But. Yeah. Like we're totally asking for it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he comes out and he basically puts this hit job out that says like uh, um, to communicate or not to communicate. And I'm like, that's not what we said at all. We said communication is not the solution. It's not the key. It's a tool. And there's tons of research backing this. And the funny thing was that this therapist is well known. And uh, his certification actually came from the organization who said this very sentence. So he comes and bashes it. And all of his, like he has a, a quite a bit, like maybe five times larger audience than, than we have on the platform. So we've got all these kind of people that just take what he said at face value. And they're coming after us in the comments. They're saying things like, you know, I'll bet this... I'll bet these guys are divorced and unhappy and I'll bet their wives are miserable. And my wife's like sitting there like pissed off reading it. But you realize like they don't know anything. Like they're just, they're just coming and they're just saying what they want to say because they want to, you know, be relevant. And we did a rebuttal to it. And we said, it's interesting that you say that communication is a solution and that all these things, when your own certifying board the people that gave you your certification have said communication is not the key. And when we pointed out the literature and then he's like, well, I can't publish that now. And I go, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of like your problem, <laughs> right? Thanks so, for the engagement, in, dude. No. <laughs> yeah. In the end, he posted a video that said like, well, I think we're just saying the same thing. So it starts oh, with God. like, it starts with, you know, we're completely off and I don't know if I'm missing it, but like, I just think that they're completely wrong in this, but Hi, you tell me if, if, and, and I, I kind of loved it. Cause it was like, this is the wedding photographer. This is the wedding photographer who is now in the middle of a debate with one of the most well-known therapists in the world. That means something for sure. And it would never have happened if like, if, if you're not okay with the criticism, you know, if right. you're not okay with being judged, if you're not okay with holding a stance, and if you're not okay being wrong. So there's there's value to that. And seeing the value in being wrong will 10x your growth. Being okay with criticism will 10x your growth. Being all of that, I think it, it served to just kind of like hold us back. Because if you are wrong, don't you want to know it sooner than later? Definitely. Well, dude, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. You still remind me so much of my friend Matt Townsend, but it's okay. But you're your own <laughs> unique person. I think you guys are long lost cousins. I, I stand by that and I will introduce you guys soon. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of links and places to get in touch, but this is shameless self-promotion time. Anything I miss, anything you want to put out there. And also too, one last thing, if someone's just discovering you for the first time and they're in that photography wedding space, what's what's the first like resource you'd recommend, first video to go check out? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say honestly, the two most relevant things would probably be srloungeworkshops.com is all of our A to Z education on photography and then the business photography and then impossible things. So things.co um, is where you can download impossible things. You get 500 free edits with your, your sign up of your account um, and you can start putting it to use and save yourself a ton of time. Yeah. SLR lounge is just like an ocean of like information. And every time I go there, I'm almost like overwhelmed. What's, what would you say is like one of like your favorite pieces of content you guys have made for over the years or the favorite, most valuable sort of article or video oh or something? We I have know. a lot on there. Hard so question. I would say, <laughs> yeah, go to the guides. So the guides are a really good place to like, depending on where you're starting out. Um, if there was a series that like, I would encourage people to jump into if you're kind of new to photography, it'd be the photo 101 through the lighting series is kind of like the kind of the bread and butter of creating a foundation in photography and lighting. Awesome. Dude, it's been really great. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, super fun. Thanks, buddy. Likewise, Rob. Okay, see ya. Right, take care. Bye.